Welcome to the Milk Duds Podcast. My name is Corey. I am a native of Philadelphia. I am a father. I am an entrepreneur. And uh, Jamal Greer, native of Madison, Wisconsin. Been here in Atlanta for 20 years now. Um, and I, lost, I work in youth development. Hi, I'm Joshua McCoy. I'm an entrepreneur and an investor. Uh, I grew up in Denver, Colorado, but I've been in Atlanta for about 12 years. Welcome, fellas. Uh, this is the introductory episode of the Milk Duds podcast. I guess the biggest thing, biggest topic of the week is uh, Mr. George Floyd and uh, his death, the, the riots and the protests. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Where do we start? I mean... You know, this just in, at the time of this recording, we're looking at the president of the United States invoking or threatening to invoke the Insurrection Act and uh, literally using the United States Armed Forces against citizens of the United States um, to quell the uh, protest of the killings of Black folks in this country by law enforcement. I mean, this is unreal. I think that shows lack of leadership. Um, there has not been one true press conference on the topic. I mean, he piggybacked on when he was in Florida with the the spaceship going off, and he piggybacked with a corona, and but he's never had an actual uh, press conference to speak on the injustice, to speak on our plight, to speak on bringing the country together. Right. I think another thing about this entire situation is the fact that we're living in a really strange time right now where um, in a lot of ways, new technology and social media has allowed us to curate our spaces, to create our own experiential bubbles. And even within those bubbles, we have, we, we have had to you know, sloth off parts of those social bubbles. So like I was mentioning earlier in 2016, when after the death of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling, we had to slough off people in our social circle who were, who we considered were white friends, who at the time of our lament, we realized that they were completely callous about the deaths of people who didn't have to die. And now we're at a state four years later where black folks have to slough off their relationships with other black folks who are completely complacent with this system of white supremacy as long as they have a level of privilege within it. And it's frustrating, it's disconcerting, and it's infuriating. And it just reminds me that everybody ain't going to make it. Hmm. Uh, Jamal? Yeah, I agree. Um, a couple of things. Uh, tapping on the president. This kind of stuff never surprises me. I've kind of grown numb to it. It's almost as if um, it's just another part of the sideshow. He's been running our country like he did uh, his television show um, since he got in there. So whatever creates the best ratings, whatever gives him the most buzz, uh, whatever um, riles up everybody the most, that's what he's going to say. Um, in regards to what Brother Desmond talked about, slothing off um, black folks has been huge with this one because, like you said, there are some people who feel, who are so lost 
that I had, a go, I had a brother actually tell me I'm actually more comfortable now with systematic racism um, than I am with blatant racism. So um, it doesn't really bother me. And I'm Bruh. Like, Listen, dude, we had a debate about what was safer, the Midwest or the South. And I told him the Midwest is the most, Midwest in the, in the Boston area, the two most racist areas in our country. Back. Um, on he was basically Back. He was using, he's basically using that to say, he's using a mild Arbery situation to say, like, it's more dangerous down here because, quote unquote, Negroes are still getting lynched. And I'm like, <sighs> did we not I see that? Yeah, I was going to say that didn't age well, Gardner? did it? <laughs> did we not see the public lynching of Aaron, Eric Gardner? Orlando Castile, like, all these people. And it's just, it, it literally, he's repeated the cycle that I saw in people my parents' age when I was younger, who That's had it. just become um, so used to having to be the only black person in the room that they got comfortable just not advocating for, for themselves and others right. because they didn't want to see, be seen as an angry black person in the room. Right. And that eventually became like a coping mechanism just to, to it's a survival manage tactic. their own, exactly, survival tactics. And now it's it's now come full circle that I see those two guys I grew up with who now have the same mentality and it was just so so troubling and, and it, it is literally shaking our friendship that I've had we've had since sixth grade. I, um, I have a friend like that. He, all weekend he was posting about you know let's do peaceful protests and you know it doesn't have to be this way. Um, but he was also one that came after Kaepernick um, when he kneeled. And I went, I, I promise you, I spent about an hour going through a social media trying to find those posts. And I just eventually gave up because um, I wanted to present that to him. Because, you know, you can't give us the warm and fuzzy as one end of the spectrum and then not give us the reality as the other end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, you're doing a disservice. Right. I think that's probably that the is. most terrifying aspect of this thing from a black perspective. Because typically when you have, you know, mass tragic event, they're, they're the the easiest thing, the common denominator is, is the shared trauma that we experience. Um, and what I mean by that is you can look at what happened with 9-11, how for a very small part of time, period of time, that trauma allowed a lot of people to just bond, whether they typically didn't, uh, along class lines, race lines, income lines, gender lines, you name it, political lines, you name it. Um, for a very small portion of time. But with these things going on in the Black experience, um, what we're experiencing is the gaslighting of Black people. And it's not just the gaslighting of Black people by white America, but it's also the gaslighting of people by our own skin folk. Because you think you feel like you're in the trenches with other people who understand what's at stake, and then they open up their mouths and they say things that let you know that they are double agents. And it, it really makes you question not just your reality, but it also makes you question the strength of those relationships that you have. Because it was like, for example, it was easy to cut off white folks in 2016 who were racist or who shared racist beliefs. Uh, in the wake of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling's death, but it's a lot more difficult to wrestle with or reconcile with folks who are more upset at 
looted buildings and broken glass than they are with broken black bodies because those broken black bodies are poor or quote unquote ghetto. And it's acceptable to live with that kind of disposable humanity. Or where we are now, it's acceptable to deploy military rule over the largest urban areas in this country than to arrest the people who killed a man in, for, in front of everybody. Bruh, that, that goes to the gaslighting though, right? It's you know the gaslighting, absolutely. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean we gotta arrest this guy? No, we're arresting y'all for being upset about it. We're gonna arrest these thousands of people over these three, over these four. Like, none of this stuff would even happen if all four of those dudes were sitting in a jail cell right now. Exactly. Like, none of this stuff would happen if the dudes who murdered Ahmaud Arbery were in jail the day they murdered him. None of this stuff would happen if the men who murdered Breonna Taylor, say her name, was murdered. Like, none of this would happen right now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you can see that because the second that all the four cops, uh, uh, all the cops involved, I mean, not cops, well, well they're from the investigators. All the guys in the uh, Mount Aubrey situation were locked up and charged. Every, all the, everything stopped. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the guys with guns outside their houses watching the street. Everything was like, okay, thank you. That's all we wanted. That's yeah. it. Because like we, we want yeah. justice. That's all we want is justice. Yeah. We want to be them. We and want. And I, I saw a quote that said, people need to be lucky that we want justice, not revenge. Mm. Yes. Real. We want because justice. That, you know, that's what some people want. Uh, and another thing, Des, touching what you said about um, realizing that you, when you, when you think those are in the trenches with you, you know, I've been saying this for years. Um, there are people who I just don't respect and I call out on social media as social media activists because they're not in the trenches with us. And that's why right. they don't understand right. when things are going left what, the, what they should be doing. Why? Because they're not in the trenches with you. Like right. if, if if we're all if we're a bad you know I'm a hooper right so if we're all running the play and this is our set offense and then we get in the game all of a sudden this new guy comes in from off the street he can't run the offense he don't know what he's doing like he might be a hooper he don't know what he's doing because he don't run the offense why he ain't been at practice he hasn't been you know on the film session with us he hasn't been doing any of these scouting reports that's what happens with these folks like they, they've never been in the trenches they're never in the trenches with us not working with our youth. They're not working with their local uh, government. They're not, Dude, that's a great um, analogy, bro. Anything. Yeah, they're not doing anything that helps the cause. And so when this happens, all they know is to get in the shoot. That's, that's, that's the riots, right? All they know is like, I'm angry now. I'm getting involved. I'm about to do what I, what I, what I think I should be doing. And it's like, no, dude, you, you got to come to practice, yo. Learn this offense, learn these plays, so you can know what to do when game time happens. If I can take your analogy even further, it's like having those homeboys that we had that weren't on the team, but they were close to us. So if we lost the game, they were talking junk like, oh, man, y'all, sorry, man. Why didn't y'all do this, that, and the third? It's like, dude, it's obvious that you don't understand the game because of the kind of, you know, armchair quarterbacking that you're doing. And even if you cared about this stuff enough, then you will be invested in it, and you're not. And that's becoming very obvious from the amount of, of the fractured black America that's experiencing this stuff. Like it was one thing when, you know, black folks were dealing with the 
disenchantment of, you know, having all these great options for the president and having to deal with our parents, you know, uh, uh, nominating Joe Biden. But now it's like, we got to look at our peers because they are voting for more of the same by being more outraged at the riots and protesting than they are at the injustice. Yeah, I I would love to see how this kind of unfolds now that all these folks just a few days ago, oh man, don't be breaking windows. Oh my gosh, because windows are so hard to replace, you know, don't be, you know, spraying graffiti on buildings because it's so hard to paint these buildings, you know, don't replace, you know, don't don't be stealing stuff because it's so hard to replace product. How do these folks feel now when you're looking at like the United States, the weight of empire about to be dropped on American cities? We already had um, National Guard deployed, but now this dude, you know, he, he already started with when the looting starts, the shooting starts. That was his response right. already. Right. And it's clear that uh, he has no intention to lead the way out of it. It is, it's almost like, you know, it's a wet dream for this guy, uh, you know, where he could start a real life race war. Um, but I don't know if he's actually seen, but there's a lot of white people out there too. So he might want to, you know, check on that. I don't, I don't know, man. This is a this is a very strange time. And we're saying that with the backdrop of 100,000 plus folks dying from a pandemic in a few in a handful of months and uh most of them are you know black people brown people people of color yeah you know it's crazy though like the only only thing that could have interrupted a pandemic was systemic racism and anti-black <laughs> like think about that dog like we had a pandemic that halted that brought our economy to a screeching halt and the only other thing that could break through the airwaves was anti-blackness and systemic racism. Like, and it was like, they did it once, it was like, oh, that's not good enough. They did it twice, oh, that's not good enough. But the third time is the charm. Yeah, that's wild, man. And, and Josh, to pick it on what you said about uh, 45, he doesn't have the ability to lead, out, lead us out of this. Right. Like, he, he does not, like it just, I don't. I honestly don't believe he ever thought he'd be president. I, right. I agree with I you. I, I, I agree with you. Think he jumped in. You know what I mean. Thought it'd be good uh, publicity. You know what I mean. Try to you know see what he could do. And then when it when it took when he when he when, it, when he started gaining momentum, he's like, oh shoot, I might actually be able to win this thing. And then just started spouting off of the mouth. And once he realized one thing, Donald Trump has always been is a great salesman and like a Don King type. And that's what right. he is in, in the White House. Like, right. He's just, he has no idea what he's doing. Like if you watch the things he said, like today he's like, well, MAGA loves the black people. What? Like MAGA loves the black, first of all, who says the black people? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and let, and let's not act blacks. like, you know, he wasn't sitting here with Oprah and Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and all those folks. You know, as right. as 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 recent as you know, ten years ago, five mm-hmm. ten years ago, right? And all of a sudden, yeah, I won't even go any further. I'm, I'm I'm getting <laughs> irritated when I start talking about it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel you, old bro. I mean, I uh, I think the I I think Donald Trump in his 
mental makeup. He is so used to deflecting responsibility and blame because he is only a short-term thinker that he has been confronted with two major long-term complex issues that cannot be waved away. And because he can't merely wave them away, he results to the only thing that he knows in his playbook, which is either, um, you know, changing the conversation or stoking the fears and prejudice of his base. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, that's what we're set up in right now. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a point so, where, like, I don't, I don't even expect um, any help from the White House or anybody else that is aligned with him. Like, I'm, I'm more so now just solely focused on encouraging folks in our community to make changes um, that will lead us forward. Um, and one of those days we were talking about is, I know you and I have these offline conversations. All the time. Until our education system changes, none of this will change. Right. Until our education system is educating holistically when it comes to history, when it comes to culture, when it comes to, um, you know, upbringing, when it comes to, like, until you factor everybody's upbringing in when you're doing this education and empowering every culture that you're educating, this will continue to happen because as it stands, one side is being devalued and the other side is being uh, glorified. Right. throughout everything, throughout the movies you show in the school, throughout uh, the so-called superheroes, throughout the history you teach them, all of these things. And until, when I moved here, when I went from Madison, Wisconsin, I've never, I had three black teachers my entire life, K through 12, all right? And my fourth black teacher didn't come and talk to me, after an economic studies class at Georgia State. I didn't expect them to teach me my history, but now I live in Atlanta, where we have a black superintendent, black school board, black principals, black teachers, and we're teaching the exact same thing. To me, that's more harmful than it is for mm -hmm. a black kid in Wisconsin. Thank you, bro. Right? Because it's one thing for them to tell me that this history is accurate and that, that their history is accurate. It's, a, it's an even more powerful thing for someone who looks like me to teach me the exact same thing. Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because I was just talking to a friend earlier and I said, you know, uh, one of the, one of the, challenges that we have as black people is that because we are black uh, when we experience racism and white supremacy we have the tendency to only view it through our own eyes and to think that means that we clearly understand the issues we clearly understand the problems mm -hmm. we understand the manifestations so on and so forth but we're just viewing it through our experiences and so for the most part um, you know, when we get the, the first time you ever get challenged, somebody's telling you, hey, that's just an anecdote, um, you know, but, uh, you know, this happens to all people or you're just unlucky or something like that. You don't have you just kind of stuck in your, you know, like you stuck in the cement because you haven't had taken the time out to learn um, real history, you know, as it's told by people other than. Um, like what you were saying, Jamal, like, you know, these, these folks here, you know, um, you weren't, you hadn't taken the time out to really learn about the civil rights movement. So you passing on these Martin Luther King memes talking about, uh, he wouldn't have wanted this or he wouldn't have done this, you know, or, or you, um, use your, um, <laughs> you know, your, your platform to be able to throw out some Malcolm X when you feel like it, but you don't really understand the actual, um, weight of what they were doing and you know you don't understand the backdrop to James Baldwin uh, 
and you know uh, his literary prowess and you know and his uh you know all of the different things that he did to give words to a movement you know and so i think that's one of the things that um i started thinking about is as we challenge white people to uh you know to be able to dismantle white supremacy there's a part of it that we have to also challenge our own folks uh to really learn and become knowledgeable about how this whole infection um you know has really taken us all uh in a certain way and we've got to we got to we got to change that man we got to dismantle that well, I know one of the things that Jamal and I talk extensively about is how 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 uh, how myriad the opinions are from Black folks about systemic issues, and how sparse the participation is. And I'm not sure if that's a systemic issue. I'm not sure if it's a cultural issue. I'm not sure if it is a you know modern issue. Um, but it has been one that has been probably our greatest adversary uh, in this modern era. <laughs> to pick up where we left off, um, I was saying culturally, I think that, you know, because we're a microwave society, we necessarily don't think about uh, yesterday or tomorrow. We think about right now. I was house when I saw this thing come on TV. And to me, it looked like mm. she was at the house sipping some wine or something. She just ran up to the spot, uh, did her little statement, got her little rant off. Um, there was no organization to it. There was no thought that went into it. There was no consideration for um, what was being, what the protest was for. And then she got T.I. Yeah, told me this Wakanda, and that looked foolish. Um, right. And they killed my cat. I genuinely agree with almost everything he said when he got up on there, right? But at the same time, like you said, like the woman said to you, he doesn't speak for me. I've never seen... Killer Mike and T.I. and the grind that I've been on. I've been doing youth development in Atlanta since 2001. I've never seen them at events in the Bluff. I've never seen them at events in East Atlanta. I've never seen them in the Swap. Like, so to have them on there, one, have a Kill, my, Kill Your Masters t-shirt on, it just, to me, it made it seem like what Des calls the black bourgeoisie no, and no, how they were feeling. Do you say that because... Because I, mean, I, I don't think that they were disagreeing with the protests. I think they had a problem with the, I guess, the mayhem, the defacing of the CNN building, the, the, the putting fire exactly. to the my, car. my point is, yeah, my, my point is, if you get involved with those on the ground level, you could get in there before that even happens. Thank you. If, you, if, if you're out there with a, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a megaphone leading that charge, that that you can prevent that from happening. You can't now jump in late when you've ignored everything that led up to that and then now scold everybody for what's going on. And if you really cared, instead of jumping up in the press box of her, go out there. Right. Jump out there. And 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 talk to the people. Like you can't now get on this pedestal and talk down. I think you hit the nail on the head for, for me, Jamal. It seemed like they were punching down. And so mm -hmm. a couple of the things that I try to understand when folks are communicating, who is the audience, number one, and what's the content of what they're communicating, number two. Because I think a lot of times we get caught up in delivery. And delivery is really about personal style, personal relationship, right? Uh, you know, some folks can deliver certain mm -hmm. things to you that you take differently 
than other folks. And I think that's part of the whole appeal of, okay, well, let's get up there and let's have uh, our rappers get up there because they're thinking, okay, we got a mayor named Keisha and we got Tip and we got Mike. And so they're going to take, you know, whatever the delivery we have, whatever the content is, it's because it's us, they're going to take it a certain way. But as I think critically about it, I mean, I had, you know, my earpiece in, like our secret service, you know, listening to the press conference, watching on my on my cell phone. And then I, you know, looked at my eyes from the from the screen and I'm like, what what are they talking about? What are they looking at? Because I was there hours mm-hmm. for hours. Keisha wasn't there. Mike wasn't there. Tip wasn't there. And so I'm like, okay, that's the first issue. And then the second issue that I had was, hmm. I think I'm the only one watching the news in the middle of this. <laughs> so when they're saying go home, who are they talking to? And that's what I'm talking about. Like you, that was for show. That was for show for the other bougie folks that you, that you really, that really hear you because like you said, it didn't even make sense to me. I'm like, why are they having a press conference? On the, the news, police headquarters. While the like police headquarters, while the protest <laughs> is going on, as if anybody's going to hear what they're saying. Like nobody out there is, is like it was. Like, you are the anomaly out there, right? There's probably a couple of people doing it, but the majority of people were out in the moment and not worrying about what she was talking about. But they, she's always been tone deaf and doesn't know us by me. I am not a Keisha Lance Bottles fan. Okay, and then like, if we add on top of that, right? Not not only was where were they not out there uh but if they were out there they would have known that almost everybody that was there for the initial demonstration was gone before eight o'clock gone before the first car was set on fire i actually turned around and came back because i had to people were crossing the street and they were you know blocking traffic or whatever there were there are reports i'll just say it like that that cop cruisers ran into the folks to intimidate them mm-hmm. were shooting off tear gas and pepper spray and stuff like that and caused it while we we're in the middle of the program of the demonstration where they're breaking down um, the electoral politics, the community movements and all the different things that are required for people to come together to, to, to actually achieve the change that they're fighting for. All of a sudden screams break out and people are running everywhere. And that was absolutely agitated. Was on top of one of the cars banging skateboards. Where did this kid get a barricade to throw into the CNN center's glass? And when you start looking at it, it's like, man, you have not one ounce of empathy to be able to look at folks and say, hey, look, I understand your pain. I hear where you're coming from. This, that, and the other. Even if you said that and you said, this is not the way, I could probably buy that. Right. Maybe so out of touch trying to come in and and take shots and coach the team. Like, no, you cannot. She's got she's always been out of touch. No, like I'm not a Kasim fan either, but I guarantee you Kasim would have been out there on a on a on a he would have been in the middle of the square on a pedestal talking on a megaphone trying to get people to leave. You know what I mean? She's just she's not prepared for this role. She was a, 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 a terrible city councilwoman that didn't make any change. I've lived in her district for over a decade. She's right. only in office to protect Kasim Reed from indictment. Thank you. That is the, you the one and only. If you've been involved with Atlanta politics or grassroots efforts or nonprofits or you anything city related. You know exactly why everybody's where they at. 
she was nowhere, she was never considered as anything other than the person who just kind of kept the, 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 the older black folks in churches uh, happy in Southwest Atlanta, right? But never enacted any change or any strategy. You know, you always knew Peter Mitchell or Peter Amen was going to be the next main candidate. Yep. All of a sudden, Keisha Bottom comes out of the blue only because Caesar and Kasim fell out. Yep. Only yep. reason. That's why you needed the My Name Keisha um, uh, movement right. to mobilize black folks to vote for her because nobody knew her. And the Saras. Exactly. I'm oh, yeah. And, oh, oh, don't forget vote the black block. Don't forget exactly. the main machine if that even exists any longer. I mean, they still got the Kingmakers, but that's a whole other story. I think. Josh, you brought up a point that's really interesting when you talked about how they use this significant moment to punch down. And mm-hmm. I, I want to, you know, carry that even further because as a locally eff- elected official of a city that is on the verge of conflagration, the purpose for her being there is not to talk down to the people who elected her, but rather to punch up at the systemic structures that have turned their backs on them. So just like Jamal had mentioned before, working with the youth in Southwest Atlanta and in the West End and seeing how they've had to do the most with the least. I've been working with kids for the last 20 years. And one of the things that's important to understand is the things that fueled their rage last weekend didn't start last weekend or last week or last month. This is just the straw that broke the camel's back. It broke the camel's back seeing how, you know, looking at a zip code in Atlanta, if you're born in the wrong zip code, could determine the difference between a life expectancy that's 10 years shorter than somebody that's born in Buckhead. Mm -hmm. And when people know the truth about that, when people know about the systematic Uh, erasure of black folks from Atlanta's downtown where they have systematically shut down and moved people out of the projects and left them on their own. When people have systematically pushed the poor and the homeless out to the margins of society and they have treated them with benign neglect until, unless and until we get a big thing like the Olympics or the Super Bowl and then we put them on a one-way ticket out of town. When you see the systematic treatment of black folks from historically black neighborhoods who have been railroaded out of their properties in favor of new development companies and consistently been denied justice. You see consistently both been denied justice in APS and the Atlanta public school system and how harshly they came down on the teachers in the APS cheating scandal while (laughs) while quite frankly um charter schools are given carte blanche with absolutely no oversight and when you see those things building up year after year decade after decade that's what enables the rage when you see folks get put out they section eight housing because the folks who own the section eight housing are tired of taking that money and they know they can get three four times that with the new people that are moving in and gentrifying so they just shut it down And there's no other way for those people to have continuity in their communities and in their schools, then that's what happens. And Keisha, I understand the city of Atlanta has a very limited and finite budget, but when you have the threat of all out rioting 
she can use her platform to go to the power structure and say, hey, if y'all want to get out in front of this, if y'all want to keep the Buckhead district safe, if y'all want to keep Linux safe and FIP safe, these are the things you need to do. And this is how much money you need to set aside for me right now. But what did she do instead? She got on TV and said, y'all Negroes better sit y'all black asses down. That's really what she said. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and it was for... In, in in front of the white gaze, yes. you know, so, it, it was really, to me, political maneuvering, um, whether that is for a potential vice presidency, you know, she, her name has been floated around, uh, you know, she might be uh, someone that is being vetted, we don't know, that's not confirmed, um, whether it's for, you're looking at your second term, you know, so she's trying to appeal to the, to, to the white power structure here in this area, in this metro area. Hey, look, I still got things under control. Whatever it was, it, it, it wasn't going to do anything uh, to be able to slow down any, you know, and I, and I don't even like calling them riots, man. Like, I, I feel like it's a revolt. It's a revolt against all those things that you were just talking about, Des. It's a revolt against, you know, being marginalized, being oppressed, you know, having people that look like you thumb their nose at you. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily want to jump on the, um, I don't like Keisha Train, or not say that you guys don't like her. I'll, I'll say this. Um, I think I we can, let me say this one thing before you say your thing. So I think, I think, it's important to make a draw a distinction between liking your politicians and also holding them accountable. Mm -hmm. Whether I personally like Keisha or not is irrelevant. Gotcha. However, because I love my city, yes, I reserve the right to critique the city and the leadership of this city. That is correct. Um, and that goes all the way up. Um, but what I was going to say is, uh, Des, I think you probably can relate. Um, you know, uh, coming from a sales background um, in corporate America, if something, if we had a bad month, uh, the, the powers that be implement something, a change to say that they did something to keep their job, to make sure that they're safe. Now, what they did necessarily didn't do anything. Um, it had no true result. Right. But they can say that, look, when this happened, I implemented this to prevent this. And that's kind of what we've seen um, with the, uh, the press conference. 100. Um, but speaking of press conferences, why don't you think uh, 45 actually had an actual press conference regarding the uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota event? I mean, it's something that Jamal was saying, right? That's not what he's built to do. Uh, you, you've got you know, several books and documentaries and, you know, all these different things out about his, you know, failures as a leader and a manager, you know, I mean, this guy has made a life out of grifting. Yep. That's just, you know, that's, that's what he's done. Um, and it's telling that his best skill um, is self-promotion. And that, I mean, that might be the only thing that he does well, uh, you know, to be quite frank. And there are some things that when you look at um, what we used to look at, I don't know about you guys, but you used to look at the presidency uh, from my perspective as like, okay, this is reserved for the, for the few who are just like absolute beast, you know, and that there has to be some type of like superb qualifications and you have to demonstrate that you are just a monster, you know, because this is not for the faint of heart. 
you know, not only are you dealing with 50 quote unquote United States and territories, but you are the leader of the free world, mm. <laughs> you know? And so with that, it's just the, the thought process of somebody like a Trump, you know, being in office. I mean, I, I don't even know that I, I have it in me to be able to put myself in his shoes because he's somebody that is only, you know, has only sought to uh, enrich himself, uh, to improve his situation, to help out his friends. I mean, we've been living in a kleptocracy literally since he took office, you know, Um, you know, he's been playing around, uh, you know, some of the issues with the presidency is that most of the governing thoughts on presidents are just norms. You know, they're norms and traditions. Yep. And at some point he figured that out where he's like, okay, you know, what, what was the first thing he did? The uh, Muslim ban? Yep. I think, you know, we got to give him credit for at least being, you know, having, I don't know if it's him or people around him, but he's like figured out this is how I get what I want. And I yep. think that's, that's what he's made a career out of. And I think that's part of the reason why you don't see a press conference. Uh, you don't ever hear anything that's like, um, hey, look, you know, I understand what's going on or trying to bring anybody together or trying to fix any problems. That's just not what he does. But I, I right. think those norms, uh, I mean, I think, you know, we don't want a politician. I think it's a terrible idea, of, you know, us being citizens. But I think those norms uh, held a place to where we were able to get ahead of Ebola, get ahead of, you know, the swine flu and be able to prevent a, a pandemic. I mean, I, I feel like America's in everybody's business. Well, were, and now America's damn near everybody's enemy. So why would China want to share information with us when we cussing them out every other day? Yeah, I think there's layers to that thing too. You know, So it's like when we understand or we do an autopsy on the failed or botched response to COVID-19, it has more to do with the conservative idea or the conservative ethos that big government is useless and bureaucratic and unworth, unworthy and, worth, and worthless. And we need to just shut it down, break it down, and um, give taxpayers back their money. But at the same time, he's trying to regulate Twitter. That's the idea, right? But in, in that short-term myopic type of thinking, hmm. looks at a pandemic. Looks at a pandemic response team and says, "You're only here to watch for a new pandemic and to advise us on what to do if a new pandemic comes out." Uh, that's a lot of wasteful money. I'm not going to do that because if I'm looking at this on PL sheet, then that's a waste of money, right? And then the worst thing that could ever happen happen, and we have a pandemic, and then he is tasked with giving a response to why he shuts down a pandemic response team. And he says, hey, look, I'm a businessman. And that just seemed like a waste of money. To him, that is completely plausible. But for people who are experienced in governance, that is completely, completely you know, unacceptable. It, it, it's a dereliction of duty. And it's a dereliction of duty, not because it was a principal stance, but because it was a myopic stance. And like I said before, every single one of his decisions are based in short-term thinking. It's not about whether or not they found out that, that, I, that what I tweeted is a lie or something I said was mischaracterized. It's if I can shift the conversation where they're not focusing on it right now, that's all I care about. Because even during the impeachment trials, everything that he had said up to, during, and after was a lie. But when he said things, it was basically verbal chaff 
to keep the media from holding him accountable. And he succeeded in doing that. And we are looking at a system where, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not much different than what's been taking place over the last 200 years. The only difference is that we have a commander in chief who lacks the gravitas or the sophistication to conceal his, um, <laughs> to conceal the racial gap and caste system of the agenda. I mean, because this is really no different than any other president at any other point of our nation's history. I mean, you look at the, the difference in the response between the protesters in Michigan and the protesters in Minnesota. All the protesters in Michigan were upset because they had stay-at-home orders and they were told to wear masks. And they showed up in masks with AR-15s and pistols and they were ready to take their quote-unquote state back. And he tweets out, hey guys, you, you know, work with them, give them a deal, work, at, work this thing out. And when protesters were upset and angry in Minnesota about black lives being snuffed out, you get an entirely different tone. And that's not an accident. I agree. And on that note, I think uh, we're going to wrap up the first episode of the Milk Duds podcast. Um, I'd like to thank all you gentlemen uh, for being here with us tonight. I'm going to go around uh, round robin uh, with any final words, and you can also tell people where they can find you at on your socials. Uh, going in alphabetical order, we'll start with Brother Dez. Uh, my final thought is, even in a never-before-seen cockistocracy, there is, there's always ways to get involved in this time in history. Uh, brother Jamal. Oh, wait a minute, Daz, you didn't give us your socials. Oh, my bad. So on my socials, on Twitter, uh, you can find me at, at Desmond Hardy or on IG at Distinguished Gentleman. Uh, brother Jamal. Yeah, uh, my honor so much to Desmond's. Uh, I implore everyone to get active, get involved, and stay plugged in. And how, whatever that means for you. If that is donating your time, cool. If that's donating your talents, cool. If that's donating your treasures, fine. If that's getting your own network involved, even better, right? So let's stay involved. Let's stay actively um, involved in the movement, in the culture, in the fight. Um, and then also, stop making it easy for the next generation to be taken advantage of as well. Mm. Uh, say that I mean mm. um, stop producing content that normalizes ignorant behavior of, of people of color. Stop um, putting your children in schools um, that don't look like them and that don't want them there because you're so-called getting a better education or teaching them how to deal with white folks because that's how the way the world is. White folks aren't doing that. I was, I've never met a white parent and said, you know what, I'm going to send my kid to school in the bluff because they got to learn how to deal with just people from all different backgrounds. Right. No one does that. We do right. that. And what right. it does is it, it sets kids up to experience micro traumas and microaggressions over and over and over for years and years and years. So then they end up becoming these adults who now don't understand why they're angry that this is going on, but also aren't equipped to deal with it either. And that, so, that's definitely so, going to be a, a, another topic, brother. As I said, there's no oh, limits God. to where we can go with this. But I mean, that, I mean, there were so many things that were said today that I felt like, oh man, we could expand on and be here all night. 
Um, but give yeah. us your socials, then we're gonna go over to brother uh Josh. You can catch me at Jamal Greer on Twitter, at Jamal Greer on IG, at Jamal Greer on Facebook. I'd like to end with a quote from dear brother Malcolm X. There can be no black-white unity until there is first some black unity. There can be no worker solidarity until there is first some racial solidarity. We cannot think of uniting with others until after we have first united amongst ourselves. We cannot think of being acceptable to others until we have first proven acceptable to ourselves. One can't unite bananas with scattered leaves. And, and the reason why I chose that quote is because I, I think it really gets to the heart of what some of the, some, the overall tone of what we're talking about here. You got to divest from whiteness. You actually have to believe that you are worthy, that you are somebody who has value and that your skin is not a detriment. It's not an anchor, but it's actually something that is just it. It's just your skin. And but the magic that comes with being black, it's not like I saw a meme that said uh, blackness is not bad. I love being black. It's 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 the it's white supremacy, you know. That's really the issue. And so I would challenge everybody to uh, compare uh, some of the things that you know some of your friends that you might feel like a little too woke, like a Des. You know, they might think Des a little too woke. You know, think about what you know some of the stuff that he's putting out there and how that challenges your. Uh, your acceptability of, you know, or the, the, you know, whether these things are palatable or not, um, you know, that you eat every single day uh, because that's what it's put in front of you. And so a lot of people are like, okay, so what do you want to do? Well, look, if you're so much into this bias for action, the first thing I say is, well, you know, make yourself the smartest on a certain subject, whether that's, you know, education, poverty, uh, mil militarism, uh, prison, you know, something, pick, pick a subject and read all those books and see where that goes for you. And I think you could fit into one of four things. What we're doing right now, we're advocating, we are agitating, we are legislating, and we are litigating. And so anything that you can do to fit in those four things, I think that you would do us all some justice. But hey, look, we have to stick together and we have to not let white supremacy be our guiding light. We can't let like people center whiteness. We have to be strong in that and we have to tell each other the truth. You can find me at Joshua E. McCoy on all platforms. Definitely a tough act to follow, making sure that Josh goes last next week. Uh, this is Corey. My final thought is nothing will work until you do. I can be reached on Corey the Pixman on IG. I ask that you follow Milk Duds Podcast on IG as well as subscribe to the Milk Duds Podcast on your favorite streaming platform. Uh, once again, thank you. Thank you to the fellows on the panel. Uh, appreciate you guys for listening and we'll see you guys next week.